The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. <laughs> well, everything about tonight's a surprise to me. Um, the last time I was here on a Thursday night, there were four people, maybe. Um, and I wasn't giving the Dharma talk, which was uh, a relief. There was a potato Dharma talk, which I see people are still talking about. Um, my name is Sotem, and um, I don't know most of the people in this room, which also, I'm used to not knowing people on screen, but I know more people on screen than I know in the room. So that's also kind of wonderful. Um, and a little weird because <laughs> getting an armaton, I feel like I'm a guest lecturer. It's I mean, none of you know who I am, and I'm going to be talking about me, and that's weird. Um, and then there's this, uh, which is its own thing. Um, I recommend everyone, uh, at least once in their life to borrow a sling and to sit in Zazen and have the experience of one limb just hanging in space. It's different <laughs> and kind of interesting. I've been sitting with that. Um, this is because, uh, I tore, uh, my rotator cuffs, I had two tendons, one blew out completely, one 90% tear, my labrum was shredded. And um, about mm, three, four months ago, I'm schlepping luggage and um, a year ago, but it got worse. And I had a rotator cuff repair operation uh, five weeks ago. So this is five weeks in a sling, one week to go, um, nine days actually, but who's counting? And what else could I talk about but <laughs> the vicissitudes of life when you're a Zen student? And, and um, I've been thinking a lot this year, the last couple of years, uh, about my Zen practice and how my life has met it and how it's met my life, because the last two years have been kind of crazy. Uh, those of you who know me, know that I was struggling to write a book for two years ago to around nine months ago. Um, those of you who don't know me, I'm a doctor, I'm an academic, I write all sorts of things all the time. This is my first time writing a book for a general audience. It's on the shelf there. It's called Notes on Complexity. I'm only saying that because there will be a book club uh, date about it. I think it's in December. Um, so feel free to join in. Um, that was really arduous. It was arduous because writing in a completely different way was arduous. It was because the only way I found I could write was to go away where I couldn't be interrupted by work or family, etc. And the only way I could get time away from work in order to do that was to double up my clinical load to make space for it. So it was not an easy time. And um, my Zen practice was uh, um, not steady, shall we say. I traveled everywhere when I went away to write with my Rakasu, and it would sit there staring at me in the corner saying, you know I can help you with this. Um, and there have been times in my life where Zen practice has been a help. Um, and there are times in my life where the stuff I need help with, I can't turn to my Zen practice for one reason or another. Uh, the early days of my practice, I was a student at Zen Mountain Monastery, 
And I was also a resident uh, in pathology at a big academic center. And that wasn't really easy to maintain. Uh, I sort of didn't show up for my student practice at the monastery. And so my practice drifted. And then it was the AIDS years. And suddenly the vicissitudes from that were far worse than anything I'd experienced in residency. But that brought me back to Zen practice. And Zen practice was exactly the thing I needed to survive that um, and help others survive it or not. Uh, with some degree of, of um, equanimity. About 20 years ago, uh, I went away on what was supposed to be a three-month sabbatical um, to do some research. Uh, I'm out of town, and that turned into two years away from home. And I keep thinking about how this has been a two-year period of stress and what my Zen practice has been like during it and how it was back then. And there are some things that are very similar, but there are some things that are really different. And it's made me think about how Zen practice, um, I think people of all lengths of practice will sometimes think about, well, what are the fruits of practice? One of the things I hoped for when I started Zen practice was a little help with anxiety. It wasn't a major thing. It was like number five on the list, but it was on the list. And my mother, after many years, said to me, with all the meditating you do, I would think you'd be a little less anxious. And I said, imagine what I'd be like if I didn't meditate, <laughs> So, which was true. So, you know, um, back then, I was really focused. I now look back and think about how I was focused on my attachments to Zen practice, how Zen practice was something I was trying to add on to my, my life. And, um, and the way I thought about attainment during that time was something about things to get. And at the time I went away on the sabbatical, I was, um, had just started koan practice like six months or maybe a year before. And I had watched in the early days, there's no clock. Is there a clock? <laughs> we all want me to have a clock. <laughs> yeah, I can. Thank you. Yeah. Um, no clock is like hanging <laughs> with a limb floating in space. Where are we? Um, I had been doing, I started Zen practice counting my breath, as so many of us do, and then eventually just following my breath. And I watched as many of my Dharma siblings in those early years started getting introduced to koan practice. And um, I started thinking, why aren't I getting put on koan practice? Maybe I'm not a good Zen student. And maybe, you know, blah, blah, blah. Maybe I need to show up more. Maybe you know, all sorts of things. I always need to show up more. That's certainly true. And then I settled into my uh, practice of following my breath and came to realize it was just the perfect practice for me. And I thought, wow, to have this practice for the rest of my life and to have my last breath be that focus of attention after a lifetime of focus as I breathe out my last breath. That's great. And within two weeks, 
Roshi put me on koan practice. <laughs> so I really, okay, now I'm a real Zen student. I'm doing koans. <laughs> What's the sound of one hand clapping? No jokes. Um, and I was, I was enjoying being on, uh, doing koan practice. And then I went away on sabbatical and I was like, Roshi, what am I going to do? If I can't come to Dokusan, I, you know, what do I do? And she said, well, you should do Shikantaza. And I was like, oh, God, no, the dreaded Shikantaza. When I first read, uh, my first encounter with Zen was The Three Pillars of Zen by Roshi Philip Kapra, Kapla. And he described, when he got to Shikantaza, I thought, I'd never want to do Shikantaza. Oh, my God, what a horrible practice that must be. And she said, and I was like, eh. and she said, don't you understand that when you finish koan practice, what you're left with is shikantaza? That's the practice of Zen teachers. So I went off on my sabbatical thinking, I'm now doing the practice of Zen teachers. Ooh, get me. Um, <laughs> so, so it came and went and that, but it was supposed to be for three months and then it was for two years. And, um, uh, I had an altar in my room in New Haven. It was at, in, in New Haven. And I still have that table is still my altar today. And um, I don't hate chicken taza as much, but, <laughs> but it wasn't a great formula sitting in my little monk's cell um, of a um, what are one bedroom apartments called? <laughs> Studios, thank you, overlooking the New Haven, New Haven Green. So sometimes I sat and sometimes I didn't. And then I came back at the end of those two years um, after a big scientific kerfuffle and I settled back into being part of the village Zendo and taking service positions and getting back to koan practice and things moved on. Um, and then the last two years, this book thing happened and I found, whoa, it's a similar sort of thing. I feel completely disrupted. Um, and again, Koan practice fell by the wayside. The first days of COVID were terrific because I was in my office at work, but there was nothing to do. So I could be just digging into Koan practice, but suddenly this all happened. And then I came back from that last December, the book got handed in, it got finished. And January, so I went to end of year retreat and started back on Cohen practice. <laughs> and I had three dokusans on that retreat. And the first one, I passed my Cohen, but did I? <laughs> and the second one, I passed my Cohen, but I didn't really. And the third one, I still owe someone over there. I thought, well, but I'm back. Okay. What I found was that in writing the book, which is about complexity theory as a lens that brings science together with metaphysics and consciousness and blah, 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 the nature of reality. Um, I had spent so much time working on putting these things into language that I'd forgotten, I'd, I'd lost 
my way in terms of how to sit with a koan. And so I thought, okay, I'm coming back and that's, that's my practice. But now the Zendo is open and I'm coming to the Zendo every morning. And so I was here the first week of January and I was here the second week of January and the third week of January and the fourth week of January. And then I had a couple of strokes. <laughs> Just like, really? Um, and that's when things started to get really interesting to me. Um, I thought I was in a patch like I had been 20 years before. And um, the strokes, I had three and a half minutes, I was at work, and I had three and a half minutes of um, blindness in my right eye, bright, bright white light. I was looking in a microscope because I'm a pathologist, and just suddenly I thought the light in the microscope turned up, but it wasn't the, the scope. By the time I got to the emergency room downstairs, it had gone away, but we put me in the MRI machine. We, notice a participatory patient. Um, I had two little strokes up here. No deficits associated with the lesions, um, but really profound fatigue and um, a loss of mental stamina. That didn't stop me from going back to work for two weeks until they told me you're supposed to be home. Um, so then I went home and I've been there since up until about two weeks ago when my leave was up. Uh, I've recovered from everything, but the first thing I noticed, I felt normal, just really tired. And after a few days home, I was supposed to go see my neurologist and I was down on the street calling an Uber and vaguely confused by the Uber app. Um, and then someone from work texted me while I was trying to call the Uber to see how I was doing. And I completely, it completely blew my circuits. I could not do texts and figure out an Uber app at the same time. And finally, sort of a little panicky, I, I got my friend off the phone, called the Uber. We're going up the, uh, um, the FDR. And um, I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't even do two things at once. Forget multitasking. I can't do two things at once. I can only do one thing at once. And then it just hit me. You've been a Zen student for how long? And you can now only do one thing at a time? <laughs> Maybe this could last forever. <laughs> that could be a real... And I just felt totally relieved. Oh, I finally get to manifest. There's nothing. No one's at work is going to call me. My family's leaving me alone. I just have to do one thing at a time from now till whenever. So that was a pretty good moment. Um, went, saw the neurologist, came home, lay around a lot, um, often sleeping, often just laying there looking at the ceiling. Um, I thought, here I am all this time on my hands, I should be doing Zazen. And I thought of this young woman in Three Pillars of Zen, there's a young woman in 1934 or 35, I think, who is famous in Japan. Um, I haven't heard her talked about much in, in American Zen, but it's, it's documented in the book, student of Harada Roshi, who over the, was chronically ill, but over the course of five days um, of practicing what on what turned out to be her deathbed, had 
these major awakening experiences documented in letters she wrote to Harada Roshi day by day. And I often thought about, oh, you know, <laughs> on your deathbed, it's not too late. And we sure know people in the Senda who have, at the end of their lives, um, come to astonishing um, experiences in their final months, weeks, days, hours, in some cases. I'm thinking of Peggy up at uh, Session, who was sitting in Sushen and then said, I, as I recall the story, I think she said, I think I know to go to the, emer I need to go to the emergency room. And then was gracious to everyone who helped to get her there and said, don't worry. And she died. Or I just saw Sybil, uh, Miochen Taylor on the, um, the screen over there. And if I remember, uh, similarly when she had, cancer and leukemia and it was a, a fairly long road but her death poem that she wrote um if i remember it's close to this boat has sailed in all weathers for this boat having sailed in all weathers for 72 years now just oh, sorry now dissolves into the great ocean itself. And Roshi was there when she passed away and can tell you about the amusing, but also kind of wonderful way Sybil passed. And I thought, oh, well, here I am. I've got some major thing. I could have another stroke any moment. It turns out I'm not. My prognosis is very good. I probably won't have another one. But I didn't know that yet. Um, and I thought, okay, this is it. And I couldn't. <laughs> I just couldn't focus. I didn't have the stamina to read more than five minutes, to write more than five minutes, and I couldn't do zazen. So I got in touch with Roshi, and I said, I'm lying here, and I'm trying to do zazen, and I can't do zazen. And she said, you're supposed to be doing nothing. Zazen is doing something. Would you please do nothing? <laughs> oh, oh. No Zen practice <laughs> is my Zen practice. Um, I shared this with uh, 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 Susan Ryoko Wetzel, who's my Dharma sister from my Jukai group a bajillion years ago. And um, I wonder if she's watching. I don't see her. Um, and um, she's dealing with chemotherapy for recurrent breast cancer. So she's having a very arduous path and also wrestling with this question. Um, what's my Zen practice in this setting? And how can it help me? How can I practice it, etc.? And so we've been talking a lot about this. And I told her this story and she was greatly amused and encouraging. And it's like, yes, your practice is no practice. She sent me this. This came up on her Zen little Zen calendar daily thing that she has, an actual paper thing, not even a computer. Um, so I, I, I thanked Roshi for her, her advice, and I just was like, I'm not going to beat myself up over sitting. I'm just going to have my stroke here, and I'll lie here. Uh, Ryoko sent this to me a few weeks ago. Yaoshan and Shitu were practicing together. What are you doing? Shitu asked Yaoshan. I'm not doing anything at all. 
then you were just idly sitting, she too said. Yashan replied, if, her, if I were idly sitting, I would be doing something. Finally, she too said, you said that you were not doing anything at all. What is it that you are not doing? Even the 10,000 sages don't know, Yashan said. It's an amazing practice to do nothing. <laughs> I could do more nothing, um, but I had to go back to work. Then my rotator cuff, so I had three months of just resting, and then my rotator cuff went. And so that's been about four, a little over four months of really bad pain and disability. So the operation was five weeks ago. One of the funny things about rotator cuff tears is that when you're upright, they may not hurt very much, but when you lie down, the way gravity pulls your shoulder, it's agony. And so I didn't sleep for the three months or so prior to the operation. And then after the op, which I, I was desperately looking forward to the operation. And after it, um, I discovered, oh, I'm in a sling. And this is the small version sling. The large version sling was out to here. And um, I've only been able to lie down sitting up since then. And I can't move to either side. I've learned to rest keeping still without feeling like I need to move, but I really haven't slept in four months. So what's my practice now? Which makes me think of um, Yaoshan's and Shitu's teacher, Matsu. Um, this is a very famous koan. Blue Cliff Record, Case 3. Great Master, Great Master Ma was unwell. The temple superintendent asked him, Teacher, how has your venerable health been recent, in recent days? The Great Master said, Sun-faced Buddha, Moon-faced Buddha. One of Ryoko's doctors, I think her oncologist, was commenting how... Uh, Ryoko deals with everything she's got to deal with in stride and how so many of her patients are constantly asking, why me? And, Ry and Ryoko's response to that was, why not me? Sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. Suddenly, we've both been realizing that Zen practice has been here even when we're not doing it, moment to moment necessarily. What's not doing it? We've been Zen students for years. And somehow, torn shoulder, not torn shoulder, sleeping, not sleeping. I had three months of perfect rest and I thought, I'll go back to work <laughs> perfectly rested. And then four months of no rest at all. And I'm back to work completely not rested. And I'm, and it's okay. And I think it's okay because of my practice. And my practice has been here in front of me as something I was trying to grab for so long. 
And now I realize, no, my practice is me. I'm my practice. Cool. And I kind of wanted to share that. So a little poem. <laughs> Sitting facing west, the setting sun sets the sky aflame. Sitting facing east, the moon rises in an indigo sky. Sitting on the ground, I don't feel the earth move. <laughs> 